It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. On the record, I'm Brother Priest. Today is September 26, 2017. How's everything, brother? Yeah, everything's going well. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, brother, have you ever seen George Foreman versus Ronnie Lyle? No, I don't think so. Brother, if you like boxing, <laughs> I'm, telling watch. I'm telling you, as <laughs> soon as we get off the phone, you should watch it. <laughs> I'm telling you. Have you seen Hagler Hearns? Hagler Hearns? No, I don't think so. What? Hagler Hearns. I don't think I've ever heard of him. Tommy Hearns versus Marvin Hagler. Mm-mm. So who who are the people that you'd like to uh, in boxing? Uh, Mayweather. Uh, I watch a little bit of Sugar Ray. I like Tyson. Um, yeah, those are the main ones that I watch. Oh man! Oh brother! <laughs> I'm telling you, Tyson. Great, like great. But I'm telling you, if you don't watch anything in your life, you have to watch George Foreman versus Ron Lyle and Tommy Hearns versus Marvin Hagler. Those are the two fights. And well, there's one more. Did you see Timothy Bradley versus uh, Provodnikov? Mm-mm. Oh my God, man! You're missing out, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be hurt? How do you spell well, that other guy's name? Tom- Timothy Bradley against who? Provodnikov. I don't know how to spell it. Can <laughs> <laughs> Is that How's Brother that? Chris? Oh wow! Yes, Brother Chris. Yeah, sorry. I think my microphone is playing up. Shalom, brother. <laughs> So, Brother Chris, are you on Skype? I am, sir, yes. Okay, so I wanted to ask you a question about that. So Skype to Skype is free, right? Skype to Skype is free. Um, so for me to call in on the fortune number, it's, it's penny. It's a lot, lot cheaper. Okay, so... So there's no talk show in the UK? There, there probably is because it's a, it's an internet-based thing, isn't it? So there will be yeah. shows, but I've never heard of it before the classes. Before oh, I started okay. doing the class. Well, how, how was your uh, vacation, your trip, brother? 
Oh, wow. The, the trip um, was fantastic. I was in Croatia. That's the reason why I couldn't call in last week because I was, I was traveling back. But the place is absolutely beautiful. I was in a place called um, Zadar, which isn't the capital. Um, the capital is a place called Zagreb. Um, and there's some other places that are uh, another place called Dubrovnik and another place called Split where um, I, I had a look as well. But the place that I was at, um, Zadar, beautiful scenery, it's down by the coast. Um, and the people, I have to say, are, are, are great people. They're really, really, I mean, with the situation um, or the condition of our people going there, you're just treated like, I felt like, you know, like a Caucasian there. They just treated me so well. And I'm talking about every single person from when we was hiring boats to going into uh, shops to buying things to ordering things in restaurants. The people were fantastic. And there was an issue with our apartment uh, where there was um, a couple of the guys were playing music a bit loud. You know, when we were leaving, they said, oh, you know, it's fine. Don't worry about it. They, they gave us an extra room to have our bags. Um, perfect place. Great vacation. Wow. So let me ask you this then. Do you see a difference in going to a place that's predominantly Caucasian versus one that's predominantly Negroes? Oh, definitely. A thousand, two thousand, three thousand. So, wow, damn. So what are some of the differences? Well, describe what it's like visiting a, a Negro country. I'd say that, I mean, even when I was in um, Jamaica last year, and we were staying in, um, it, was, it was a five-star hotel, so that was the highest in Jamaica. So on arrival, there were a couple of bits. Um, we didn't get seen straight away. Uh, the concierge wasn't there. Then we got to the room, and there was a couple of issues with the room, and they didn't, they didn't sort of do it out straight away. Um, certain times, things were supposed to Start, but they didn't start on time. Uh, a few bits were sort of in disrepair. Timekeeping, obviously, in the Caribbean is, is, a, is another thing where they're not really strict on time. But the day-to-day going to places and waiting and things come back that aren't, uh, say, food, for instance, that you may order, it may take long to come, and sometimes it's not, um, you know, the best service as well. But Going away to um, to this place in Croatia, it was it was just everything was pristine, everything was in its place, everything opened when it said it was going to open, everything was was uh, done to perfection. The courtesy was great. Um, even when we ordered the boat, he said, you know, come back, come back in in an hour's time. You know, I'll be here. I'll have everything done. The, the sailor will be there to, to talk you through everything. We came, I think we came ten minutes early, and the guy was there waiting. The soldiers walked us through. He said he showed us the boat. He said this is this is the music system. You can play one music. This is the bit where we're going to have our our meal. Our meal's going to be at four o'clock sharp. They started cooking at I think it was about two o'clock. They were all organised and ready. The, the glasses and everything were out. The cutlery was out. All the sauces and everything was out. It was just a sort of a really kind of um you know experience that I'm kind of getting used to because I'm sort of travelling around in Europe a bit at the minute. So. You definitely, you definitely realize the difference. I'll say that. So, man, 
So why <laughs> why do you think why do you think there's a difference? What what do you think is causing the difference? I would say I thought, I would I know we talk about our conditioning, but I think it possibly it goes beyond that. I just think that if you're in business, they they understand that if you're in business that you have a certain standard to uphold and you people use your livelihood basically. I think that they they understand that. They put a lot of effort into what they're doing because they they possibly want to hand it down to their offspring and it's something that they've they've sort of got for life and, and it's a make or break situation. Whereas, you know, sometimes with Negroes it is the case of, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Look, there isn't that longevity there to say they can be something for a generational aspect. More kind of, you know, if I'm still I'm doing a business then if it doesn't work out then you know, my, my offspring can do something else or go to college or, you know, that's, that's the only thing that I can think of. I just think it's in the mindset that they are, they are in the service industry and they, they have to, you know, play their A game for people to come back for them to, to, to progress. That, that's what I think. So, in the UK, wait a minute, Croatia is part of the UK, right? Oh, no, no, no. no. That's, that's in Europe. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, in the UK, um, well, how, well, how is it, is it, is it the same like in the UK, let's say, if you go to Negro parts of the UK and then go to Caucasian parts, is it, is it the same like that there? It, it is different. I mean, if you go to the Negro parts here in the UK, then you can kind of, you're probably liking it to your, to your you know, Detroit maybe. You know, it, 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 you can definitely tell when you hit those, those, those neighbourhoods, you can tell. And you have sort of like, you know, the, the, the black and the sort of Caucasian areas here, um, and they are different. So like the Caucasian areas will definitely be more upkeep and they'll be more pristine, um, better businesses, because in the in the sort of Negro areas, you would have more betting shops and uh, liquor stores and um, things like chicken shops, you know, fast food places. But in in Europe, you don't tend to have these sort of Negro areas. Um, not that I've seen anyway. And I mean, when I was there, I probably I may, I may have seen five or six Negroes there. But Going around everywhere, there was there was no mistreatment. Um, there was no funny looks, funny stares. It was it was just a beautiful place to be. We took the scenery. We took a lot away from that trip. And I went with 22 other other people, other other guys. Oh, whoa! <laughs> so we so we must have stood out there. So if it was going to happen next, well, it would have happened. It would have happened with 22 of us walking around. But you know, none of us had. It. So, what about like? Well, is there any uh, like ghetto in London? There, there are some some areas, yeah, I would say, but not not to the extent that you've got over there. Not with the derelict houses and things like that. You, you don't get any derelict houses over here at all. Okay, so what about the the businesses um, that Negroes own over there? They, from what I can see, they tend to be barber shops. 
Um, there'd probably be barbershops and restaurants. Uh, and some, you know, the computer stores where you sort of take your, your Apple back in and they would fix it. Um, and they've got the internet thing where you can go in there and sit down and pay to use that internet service. That, for me, is, is all the businesses. Um, maybe an off-license, maybe here or there, but they are predominantly the, the, the stores. You wouldn't see, um, not that I've seen, you know, like an estate agent, or you wouldn't see like a furniture store or anything like that, one by neither. That's crazy, because that's exactly what it's like over here. <laughs> Barbershops, beauty salons, restaurants. I mean, I don't see us on it. Do you, Brother Jesse, here see us on anything else? No. Uh, there's only one uh, brother that's out here that owns a bank. That's all I, that I know that's out of that category. Hmm. I know in Houston, there's um, it's a soul food restaurant. I can't even remember the name of that street. But there's a Are couple. Are you talking of... about the Breakfast Place? Say it again. Breakfast Club. No, not the Breakfast Club. I you think it's. It's in. What'd you say? He's famous. A lot of, um, a lot of different, um, people eat there. Caucasians, Asians. A lot of and he closes that too. The restaurant closes that too every day. It's not. I want to. I'm trying to remember the street. Uh, I can't remember. I know FM1960. And it's a street that comes off of FM 1960. I can't remember, but yeah, it's mostly barbershops, beauty salons, and, and restaurants that we own over here. Pretty much nothing else. And um, that's interesting. I'm glad you had a safe trip, brother. Brother Chris, do you, are you familiar with Frank Bruno, the oh, fighter? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, how is he treated over there? Um, I would say in the early days when he was, you know, fit and he was winning, they they kind of, the, the British people or the Caucasian British people took him to their heart, if you like, and um, he he was he was sort of winning. He was, I met him once in a in a in a nightclub. He's, he's a huge guy, absolutely huge, um, and. But but when he started when he when he fought Mike Tyson and he lost and I think the public was still kind of with him but he had um, some type of a sort of breakdown and apparently he was sort of smoking weed and you know people used to see him walking the streets and inviting people back to um, his mansion or wherever to sort of just come and like homeless people so I think well I think at one point he got sectioned in me I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure but. I'm sure he got sectioned uh, under the mental health act, but I don't really see that much of him nowadays. Um, he may sort of come on a, a TV show. Uh, he doesn't really do any punditry, where you know a lot of fighters that when they finish, they they go into a lot of punditry. And you'll see them at ringside, and they'll you know they give their aspects, 
They just kind of see him as a bit of an Uncle Tom as well. So even though we've gone through that and um, there's a flip side to that, but yeah, they, they see him as a bit of a, a bit of an Uncle Tom. So what about okay? Before he fought Tyson, was he like kind of like a national hero? Yeah, you could say because um, because the UK never really had a heavyweight champion, so he was he was. He was big, he was strong, he was working his way up the ranks, and the British people did like him because he, in the way that he spoke as well. He, but again, I think it's the thing where they just think, yeah, that sort of dumb media. I think there's a bit of that as well because if he was if he was big and strong and articulate as well, then there probably wouldn't have been that much. Hmm. And I'm thinking about all of this because of what happened yesterday and this past weekend with um, with the NFL and yesterday LeBron James uh, doing a press conference and just tearing Donald Trump apart. And I'm thinking like Dennis Rodman, he's going over, he's meeting, he's like an ambassador. What What kind of people have athletes with that kind of power and say, you know, in their country. So what about Lennox Lewis? I think I think he's done uh, quite well. You definitely don't see much of him, but he he made his money and I hear he built a university and he's got a lot of things going on. So he he's just sort of bowed down and gone into the background. But I understand that he's got a lot a lot of things in place where he can pass on to his offspring. So did, did he ever, like, did he ever get involved, like, with the Queen or anything like that? Did he have any type of political influence? Oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't have thought that. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's different over here. I, I think you have to have some type of um, experience in that field. To, to go up. I mean, it's, I think it's only for like states that you can get, you know, like actors and presidents and you know, like uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and people. Like, I mean, it's it's. I only see it over there in the states. I, I mean, Dennis Rodman. He was a player. I don't know. I, know, I heard he was some type of um, cross dresser and whatnot. And all of a sudden, he's a he's an ambassador. I, I don't get it, but. I wouldn't. I've never seen that anywhere else in the world, apart from this day. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. So, what about um, Anthony Joshua? What is it like with him? He is the the golden boy, I'd say, of the of the minute, because he is a he is he was of a Nigerian parent, something uh, parentage. So um, he he's quite articulate. He's a, he's, he's unbeaten. He fought uh, Vladimir Klitschko. He got a lot of respect for that because they both got knocked down, and he, he showed his character by coming back and winning that fight. He does a lot of um, youth work as well. So he, he's no, I actually get my hair cut in the same barber as him. Um, I haven't seen him in there, but he gets his hair cut in the same in the same place. But um, yeah, I think I think he is. Is looked upon as a legitimate 
uh, fighter and 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 as a as a really nice guy as well. He he seems to be putting back. And I heard that the I heard that the Klitschko fight, even though it was fought in Vegas, wasn't it? I heard that he was trying to get that fight in Lagos. Um, so he he he's going along that line as well. So maybe somewhere along the line he, he's thinking to get you know the big money to come to his his hometown, if you like. So he's definitely. Because if you remember, okay, uh, you know, I saw the Joshua Klitschko fight. It was really good. Um, and, I mean, I think he caught, he caught Klitschko at the right time. But, um, like, if you remember Mike Tyson, like, or Muhammad Ali, it would be more between that time frame the heavyweight champion of the world was like a real walking god, <laughs> you know, like for real a god, and it was like really something. When when Mike Tyson won the championship, he was like Superman, <laughs> you know. It's just crazy and. I just remember, like, how I'm looking at how these athletes now, um, they're starting to resurrect with um, political influence. And it's like right now, it's like LeBron James is, he's the he's the guy. Um, so when he speaks did you, did you see did you hear about that over there in the UK with LeBron James said yesterday I didn't know I mean um, I haven't really looked on Facebook usually things that happen over there in the states I I pick up on Facebook but I didn't think I heard that he said something but I wasn't sure what it was what what did he say He called Donald Trump a bum <laughs> and he said that um he won't even use his name he won't even say Donald Trump out of his mouth. He's like, he's a bum. And, um, you know, because Donald Trump called NFL uh, players protesting the national anthem. He called them SOBs. So it's just set off a whole big political just mess, you know. But, yeah, man, Um but just here, I'm telling you, I, I was telling just here about these fights. So, brother, you gotta watch George Foreman versus Ronnie Lyle. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it's worth it. It is really now the modern day one Timothy Bradley versus Provodnikov, um, Ruslan. That's what his name R U S L A N Ruslan. Provodnikov, however the hell you pronounce, spell that, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's a good one. But it's you got to watch it. That's all I can tell you. So um, we have a sister in the nation who is. Uh, in the she lives in Tampa, Florida, and since Hurricane Irma, we have not been able to speak with her. 
Um, she was on a leave, but we haven't been able to speak with her. That's been heavy on my mind. And I'm thinking about it a lot. Um, one moment. So, Lord, Lord, Lord. So anyway, during the hurricane, um, I think, Jesse, we probably had more damage over here than you did. Um, Like South Austin. South Austin is just really, it's like a danger zone. Because anytime it rains too much, South Austin gets flooded. And... I think more so the after effects of like a lot of people from Houston are now moving, have now moved to Austin with their relatives and things like that. Cause they had a, a lot of people lost homes and stuff. So it's a, it's a little bit of tension going on, you know, um, people still unsettled and, it's you can feel it, you know, you can feel the tension. But we have Mr. Donald Trump and while he's focused on bashing the NFL, people in Mexico, people in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico is destroyed, Mexico is greatly destroyed and my uncle-in-law was and actually my father-in-law i guess you could call him that my father-in-law who's who's sister Torres mother's uh common-law husband he's mexican and he's pretty much He's rich. So he has houses in different areas. So he has some in Las Vegas, some in Mexico, some in California or whatever. So he, my father-in-law and my uncle-in-law, which is my mother-in-law's brother, were in Mexico when the earthquake hit. Just so happens they were just leaving. And thankfully, I guess you could say, uh, my father-in-law's property weren't uh, damaged. But there's wildfires all over the all over California and spreading outside of California. That happens a lot, but but Jacier, what do you did did those wildfires hit anybody or any areas you know? Um 
not that I know of. I haven't spoken to anybody back home. Um, usually they're high up in the mountains, and so only the wealthy people are up there. <laughs> All the people that I know, they don't have homes up there. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're really in the high area, so it'll just it'll take a while to even come down to the city level if it gets that bad. Wow. Well, it's like one thing after another, series of natural disasters, one after another, after another, after another, which is a sign from nature that there's a major change happening. And one of the things that happens is these natural disasters, they have intelligence. And unfortunately, wherever our people are, um, they're being hit in Mexico and Puerto Rico and places like that. And it's a wake-up call. It's really, it was really hard for me doing the, the uh, Hurricane Harvey to not be able to communicate with people. And um, it really made me know that we were okay. We had, you know, stuff stacked away. But the more I keep looking at it, and I'm seeing these signs, and I'm thinking to myself, we got to make sure that our people in this nation are prepared for disasters and anything of that nature. And we need to be focusing on that a lot. So, Brother Chris, do you all have anything over there? Because I've never heard of any earthquakes or anything over there or tornadoes. What is the weather like there? Uh, today... I I had the roof down in the car today, so it was a nice sunny day. You don't um we don't really experience uh, that extreme kind of weather. Uh, we we'll probably have a flood, um quite bad flooding in certain areas, but not not that much in London because London the infrastructure in London is is quite good. So um but nothing to the extent of, of hurricanes and tornadoes, and so that is definitely not. You know what? I was just thinking about this. Um, Do they have any type of tours of Buckingham Palace? Yeah, yeah, they do, yeah. Is it, like, expensive to get in there? Um, I'm not sure about expensive. I think they do do a tour. I've got a friend who works at the... um, in Parliament, uh, so I could. I mean, is it something that you wanted to find out? I could find out if you wanted to. No, I'm just asking because I'm wondering. Like um, here, they have tours of the White House. Um, I went when I was very young. Like I was probably like nine or ten years old, and so I vaguely remember it. But um, that's kind of interesting in my mind. Like. 
over here you got Independence Day movies, you got White House down. So, you know, there's they're prepared for disasters. Air Force One, they're prepared for emergencies. I'm sure Buckingham Palace is the same. Um, does the Queen does, does she ever come out where you can like see her up close and personal like um no no you probably wouldn't unless you were at some type of um closed gala or something like that or some type of uh award ceremony you wouldn't really see or if there was the treatment of the color or something like that so that she she wouldn't be anywhere near where you could sort of physically get your hands around her. <laughs> hmm. yeah um Brother EK called me, I want to say last week, and he saw Denzel Washington in Boston, and he was like a, a few feet away from him, and they're like filming the new movie, The Equalizer 2, and I love that Equalizer movie, that's a great movie, because he is whooping people's behind, but... um. So it's like when you see celebrities, do do celebrities walk around in in the UK? Yeah, you do see you do see them from time to time um, in restaurants. Not not necessarily walking down the street because they they tend to have drivers. But if you were in a in a restaurant or you know if you were going to the theatre or something like that, then the chances are that you you possibly would. But um, the funny thing is, is you're talking about film. Simon is um. He's taken on, he's, he's quit his job. He's, he's been doing it for probably about four months now. And he's become an extra, you know, like an, an extra in uh, films and commercials. And stuff. So I think that he's kind of seeing a lot of, a lot of uh, stars in that as well. So he's been sort of bitten by this, this acting, this acting bug. And he just uh, landed a six-week um, role in a, in, a, in a movie, sort of just being an extra in this movie. So... But yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily see them just just walk in because they, they they tend to drive around. But if you were in the right place at the right time, having something to eat, you make glass. So there's certain restaurants that they go to, or if you went to Harrods, that's a good place to, to see celebrities. If you went to Harrods, Selfridges, places like that, and um, Claridges, you, or if you was at the auctions, or you you may see them from time to time. Hmm. <laughs> So that pays enough money to live off of? <laughs> Doing the extra work. Wow. I mean, yeah, you just... What, is it a salary? Or is it... Because, like, over here, I think they pay by the hour for extra work. But is it, like, a salary or something? Yeah, he was getting... I think he was getting something like 200 pounds a day or something. Um, but it, it was, like, an eight or... Yeah, so I think it was like an eight-week uh, role. So what you have to do is that he's got his agent, and the agent will will push him forward for certain roles. So I would I would imagine that you can live off it if you were, I'd say, if you were working one and a half weeks of the month, you would probably be all right. But if you if you didn't have the contract or you didn't have any roles to do, then yeah, you might struggle a bit. But if you if you can manage to one and a half weeks of every month that you're doing some type of work, then the money's good enough for you to live on. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. 
That's crazy. So, um, anyhow, we um, we a couple of weeks ago we talked about the uh, ecology of this Earth, A, B, C, and D class, and what what I saw was the when the, the Hurricane Irma hit Florida, there were looters. And then the police came out and arrested a bunch of looters, put them in jail. They were all Negroes, and they took a picture of them. At least the picture that I saw of the looters were all Negroes. Now, I don't know. I'm only speaking of what I saw in the picture. I don't know who else they might have arrested. But when you look at this, as I'm looking at it, I can see how this goes hand in hand. So, so look, if you're already disenfranchised, it means you have no real unity amongst your own people, no self-government, so you're ill-prepared for natural disasters and out of desperation you're going to loot some people just out of greed are going to do it but out of desperation being ill prepared could be a very reason for you to loot and then here come the police who are not going to defend looters they're going to defend the businesses against the looters. What are your thoughts, Josh, here? Uh, like you said, the businesses have more standing in law than the disenfranchised. So, um, you know, I believe that it's right that not for groceries and things like that, if it came down to that, you know, but the looting I saw was for uh, shoes and clothing. And I think it was like in the back of a foot locker or something like that. And they got caught on camera. So I just think they're just trying to take advantage of, uh, you know, the weather and thinking that they weren't get, going to get caught so they can disobey the law. Yeah. And and that it's a video that uh, Shedrick put out of this guy in Houston talking about the looting and what the government was doing. They brought in uh, barges to help the people, and these barges were actually uh, supposed to be jail cells, floating jail cells. Um, this guy described a lot of gang members breaking into gun shops stealing the guns. Uh, he describes that the United States government had FBI and people like that down there in Houston and um, how they were planning to flood the um, flood some of the people in there. And they weren't looking to save all the people's lives. 
he described how the people that were getting saved, the the Texas citizens, were all helping each other, and more so than police. He said there was, you know, like no police and anything like that. They were out trying to to again. They were trying to protect the businesses. Now, this man was part of a militia, and he was actually there. Now, I don't know how much of his testimony to believe, but I can tell you this. It sounded very, very true to me because it just made sense. I can see where government officials are there to protect the businesses from looters. I can see where they're there to protect the businesses and not caring so much about uh, persons and houses. So I could see that. So the the way that the people were being rescued was from their comrades in their neighborhoods. And he described how, did you see that video just here? Um, I don't know if it's the guy that was wearing all black in front of the store in the truck. I don't know if that's the one you're talking about. No, not that guy. Um, this is a guy, he's smoking a cigarette. Um, I think he's at he's at his house smoking a cigarette, you know, like a few days or a day or so after he left Houston. But uh, he said it was some police official took them all into one area and said, look, this place is going to be flooded in a couple of hours. You're on your own. And um, just look at Donald Trump. He's He's not responding to Puerto Rico. He's not, it's not even, he hasn't even addressed it yet. Or at least from what I can see, he hasn't addressed it yet. And I've been looking for him to say something. Carmelo Anthony is Puerto Rican, I guess. And he's raising money for Puerto Rico. And he's speaking out. President Donald Trump is still silent. Now, if you see what I'm saying, Brother Chris, can you see how this looks as far as how it's set up A, B, C, and D? Yeah, I mean, I'm from, I, I can remember bits of what you said uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that that is the natural order of things as far as I'm concerned. That, it has to be like that. It has to have its, its order and um, for who have taken, you know, who haven't got the the, the spirituality or the, the uh, togetherness or the oneness or the love for their people, they are the ones that will always uh, be the ones that are gonna, who are going to be, um, you know, in, in, in trouble in all of this because you have to, you have to, um, you know, declare yourself, you have to stand up and, and, and be a man or a woman um, in this world, you know, and, and conduct yourself in such a way. So, if you want to be a savage, or you want to you want to go around looting and whatnot, then I think that they're coming from the point of view of that you, you get you get what you deserve, basically. Which can you really argue with that? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about Noah. And um, the flood. 
And if you read the scriptures closely, what you'll find is what everybody thinks that the whole earth was flooded after 40 days of rain, that's really not what it's talking about. It was a time that was similar to what we're experiencing now. And over a period of, I don't know, 20-something years or longer, there were consistent natural disasters. So as you're looking right now, we're looking at this right now. Um, man, I forget the name of it again. It starts with an S. I just can't think where there were these mudslides. Maybe it was Sweden, I think. Maybe. I don't know. There were these... Say it again. Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. Did you see those mudslides in Sierra Leone, Brother Chris? Um, I I didn't know. I was thinking about something else, but yeah, no, I didn't see them now. Okay, so right now, all this is surrounding the eclipse. Okay, so right during that same time, these mudslides are, uh, mudslides are going on, and since that eclipse, there's been one trigger after another. Now, here's the thing that most people don't realize about Noah. He wasn't somebody, he was a scientist. He, he was a scientist. He studied nature. He understood um, how this works. So there was a series of things going on back to back to back to back. That's how he knew that the flood was coming. So when you read it, it it gets down to specifics. It's like the Lord says to Noah, the flood will be there in seven days. So this is Noah observing nature and, and, and mathematically gauging and in seven days, this flood is about to hit. But again, there were there were several years, 10, 20 years of natural disasters, one after the other, all over the earth during his time. So by the time he was already being prepared for it, he was already preparing himself for it. He already knew it was coming. So I'm looking like two things. Anybody that's watching Donald Trump knows that something's coming economically. He's gonna he's gonna do something dastardly to America if they don't remove him first. But it doesn't look like they're gonna remove him. The other thing is nature is telling you something's coming. So when you if you if you look through the eyes of noah i'm 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 imagining to myself here in modern times we've been on the warning path come out of her my people that ye be not partakers of her sins and receive of her plague and we've been blessed to be in a position that 
as of right now, we only have one member that we don't know what's going on with her, but everybody else has been safe through all these disasters. But the preparedness and the knowledge, the knowledge in commerce is really simple. China foreclosed and took the United States seat. So imagine if you if somebody walks in and, and removes Queen Elizabeth II off of her off of her throne, and they sit on the throne. If somebody walks in and removes the Pope off of his throne, and they sit on the throne, we know that something had to take place that that makes that some type of contract breach foreclosure or something okay united states was the global reserve currency china walks in now china as of last year is the global reserve currency they unseated the united states of america that's a foreclosure what do you think about that, brother Garcia? Well, I mean, for the weather to be re- happening the way that it is, and you say that it's intelligent, plus what's been going on with the United States government, uh, which, you know, living in the U.S., uh, we still think, even though that China has foreclosed on us, the U.S. If you talk to the, you know, average person, they still, you know, they couldn't wrap their mind around that. They still think that the U.S. is, um, you know, the top, the top government of the world, even though we have our debt even though, um, you know, there's a lot of violence and stuff taking place in the U.S. with racism, um, all these things are happening, but we still, you know, since we're living in the U.S., we still think that it's the the head of everything. Um, With that said, with, with the weather going on the way that it is, and it's happening in the U.S., I think a lot of people ignore it. A lot of people just still stuck with their day-to-day lives. They don't see what's coming. But if you put all this together and you see in history that it's happening in the scriptures, and then you have us getting ourselves together and learning while, you know, taking our baby steps while this stuff is slowly happening, it's... um. It's making sense. It's making a lot of sense. Everything is going hand in hand. So, you know, obviously something is happening because I can't remember a time where uh, when I was back in California, it was earthquakes happening like every other week. Um, You know, I couldn't imagine a time, even though I'm not that old, but it just hasn't happened in my lifetime where, you know, all of these disasters have been happening all at one time. So, um, yeah, something happened. 
Yeah, man. What are your thoughts, Brother Chris? Sorry. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, I. I agree. Um. It's. It's sort of really sort of changing. Changing times. But I mean, um. So just on the on the point that you were saying about with um with Noah, do you mean that over the, the twenty years there's been sort of natural disasters that were going on and on, and that was the the kind of catalyst that uh, that Noah was was mapping out basically that he was sort of seeing all of these disasters and he was planning for this for this flood. Um, but are you saying that that the flood did actually happen after all these disasters and and sort of wipe out the entire earth? Well, not necessarily wiping out the entire earth. So I'm glad you asked that because I kind of didn't go into more detail like I should have, but um, not necessarily wiping out all of the people on the earth. What happened was a lot of people went to high high ground and they're called highlanders today. So we refer to them as Highlanders, but a lot of them went to up into the mountains and, and as as these things were happening, and it was like a series. So if you look in history, if you read Sumerian history, just check Sumerian history and Babylonian history and Egyptian history about a flood. And... It's going to talk about a, a guy. You'll you'll see a, a a guy who's described, whose description is very similar to Noah. And so, um, we can rest assured it was probably Noah. Just under he was under different names in different cultures, because they referred to him as different names. Okay, so. What happened was periodically, well, I, I can't remember the exact time frame, but I think it's, I don't remember. In Egypt, the Nile will rise and then the moon, whenever the moon comes closer to the earth, the moon affects all of the waters of the earth. So the moon would, would get to a certain position and then it would cause a, a bottom crescent. and um, once that bottom crescent would happen, it looks like an arc or an arch looks like an arc, okay, or a canoe or something like that. So they will refer to it in Egypt as the Arkanoa. Uh, and it's like one word, Arkanoa, which just happens to sound like Ark of Noah. But when they're referring to it, to it, they're talking about when those waters rise in the Nile and they flood out this certain area. Okay, so what was happening was the same thing was consistently happening year after year after year, flooding in several different areas. Okay, so eventually you got to know it's kind of like right now look if you're you're if you're 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 in the uk uk and you're hearing about natural disasters over here you've never experienced them 
So if somebody came to you and said, yeah, there's a flood coming, you might not take them seriously. Okay, but Noah, he understood it, and he understood that it's just a matter of time before this is coming to hit us. So he was talking about, when he's describing it, he's talking about his particular area was all flooded out. And that in his particular area, he gathered, um, he gathered in sevens. He got two of every animal in sevens according to the animals that were clean and unclean. So he got, like say he had um, llamas, camels, and various species in that field. He would have the male and female of each in sevens and species. So like if you had the cat species, you have two lions, two tigers, two um, cheetahs or, or whatever, whatever was in his area. That's what he was doing. Okay, so he didn't get every single uh, animal on the earth. It was just the area that he was in. So if you look at Mount Ararat and all of that, and they believe that they found Noah's Ark in two pieces, just like it says in the scriptures. Um, have you all seen that? You ever seen that, Brother Chris? The Ark? Yeah, I think that's that ring a bell. Where did they find it? In, in something like modern-day Iraq or something like that? Yeah, and um, they allegedly found out in, like, 1988, 1989 or whatever. And it looks like it. It looks like it to me. But my point is, you you stack these things up series after series after series, and eventually you can say the whole earth was flooded, if you see what I'm saying. Hopefully that makes sense. Because... Yes, so how... Oh, go ahead. So, okay, I mean, because I'm, I mean, you, you know more about the scriptures than I do. I mean, I, so how does that play out with the theory that um, the world was repopulated through... Um, through the Israelites then? Well, okay. Remember, it's written from our perspective only. So, it's kind of like that, that TV show, The Last Man on Earth. If you haven't seen that, it's a good show. But, okay, his one guy left on Earth. There was a plague that killed everybody on Earth. And so he thinks he's the only one on the Earth. Okay, but if you imagine, if everybody within your region, it's like if you're in Houston and everybody's dead in Houston except for you, you think maybe the whole world is dead, but everybody on the earth is not dead. So there was a lot of people killed, just like there are a lot of people killed in Mexico right now, in in Florida, and Puerto Rico, the Caribbean islands. A lot of people are killed. All right, now, from our perspective, we didn't see anybody for miles and miles and miles and miles, for days and days and years and years, and you had to repopulate. They had to repopulate from wherever they were. There were Highlanders, um, particularly in Scotland, 
in, well, I want to say Ireland, Greenland, Iceland. Um, and these people were high up in the mountains running from floods. So there was very few of them left. And they didn't even know that there was other people on the earth. And then everybody had to repopulate. So that's basically how it worked. You know, none of that fancy spookism stories. Because you got to match it with history in order to sometimes in order to get it. But that's how it works. And, you know, people will say, well, the Bible was plagiarized. They stole stuff from, you know, Sumer. Well, Sumer was a Shemitic empire. They stole stuff from Babylon. Babylon was a Shemitic empire. Uh, you know, a Mesopotamia, which is no longer on the map. That was the Shemitic Empire. That's where all the original Hebrews um, formulated in Mesopotamia. So as more uh, civilization advanced, Noah was one of the rare ones that even when you read the story, you can tell he knows something. But when you re if you read about Melchizedek and look past the folklore or the creative writing and reason with any of the stories in the scriptures and try to weigh it against what you can imagine in real life happening, it starts to open up. Because a lot of these stories sound like, no, that's not possible. But specifically with Noah, also with Abraham, they they have written about these characters all over the earth. Abraham was worshipped by, Abraham is, is Brahma to the Hindus. And when Abraham's name was Abram, that's Brahma. Yeah, his name is in there. I never thought about that. Yeah, and and Brahma's wife is, is Sarah. Abram's wife is Sarah. Well, Brahma's wife is Sarah Swarthy, but it's the same name. They have pictures of him. They acknowledge that he existed, and they they look at him as they they have deified him, but they know. At least some of them do. They know that he was a real guy, you know, and they deify him as a quote-unquote God, yes, but they know he was a real guy. So the, these characters are written all over the earth. The, the same Hebrew idea, this is where the conscious community is way off. The same culture has one origin, okay? So the, the culture of writing, that's part of the culture, the writing style, and the various sciences of development and civilization, right? Okay, that sprang from one body of people, but those body of people separated geographically and had different law designations. 
So that's the difference between, let's say, a Shemite and an Israelite. And here's what I mean. When you, which is us here in this nation, when you rise to the place in law where you comprehend, how can I say this? Where you comprehend the power of law and the real truth behind law, like it's not... It's not the white man's law. It's uh, it's just natural. It's universal. When you understand the creative power behind that, that's when you are the, the the throne or the scepter has been transferred to you, to where you can establish your own title. <coughs> the transfer of birthright to the firstborn male is the transfer of the knowledge of government law and commerce to the to the child who is worthy of the knowledge and will take it and do right by it the one with the best reasoning mind and the, and the best work ethic be it male or female but they start with the with the male child first the firstborn male all right, so just imagine this. If Abraham was a Shemite, and he was, he had a son, Isaac. He had, and Isaac had a son, Jacob. And Jacob produced his offspring, 12 sons, and all 12 sons became Israelites. So what is really going on here? Because people, the masses of people, particularly these religious zealots on the streets, they don't understand law, so they don't understand what's going on here. The birthright is a title and the right to give title, the right to orchestrate and erect title. So when you arrive at a place in your life and you really get it, now let's say Jasir. Jasir has a son. And he has two children. You got two children, right? Do you got another one on the way, brother? No. Just two. <laughs> okay. Um, might be on the way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I was feeling that, but I don't know. Anyway, so he has two children, right? So now, both of his children will be Jassierites. Jassierites. Okay, now, if they have children, they will be Jassierites. 
until one of them shows themselves studied and approved to erect title. So which one of your children is the oldest, brother? I have a stepchild, and I have uh, my biological son. So six and ten. Okay, well, whichever one is the is the oldest, because in this in this situation, it really wouldn't be a matter of it. It would be a matter of biological. So normally, it would go to the biological child first, but because the other one is is under, um, you know, your roof or whatever, it, it lawfully that's your child. Okay, so well, I'll use my own life. My son's name, even though he's not in my life, but his name is Israel. So he could, so he would technically be a priestite. Okay, my child Israel is a priestite. Now, once he rises to the place of comprehending law, then he actually holds the scepter of the birthright. Now he can name his offspring Moonites or whatever he wants. He can he can give title to them, Moonites. What is the title conveying? Rights of property. The knowledge of how to run government law and commerce. That's why you see all of a sudden somebody changing from a Shemite to Israelite, and then they're not talking about Shemites anymore, or like Edomites, you know, they change. So whatever ites in the scriptures, the designation is law is what I'm trying to say. Did that make sense, Brother Chris? Yeah, um, like, like as we always say, I mean, the law is is what you have to get your head around. And I mean, I've, I've realized that even between the business and even when you're looking at your contract and you look at certain words and you, you look at a normal dictionary and it gives you one definition, you go to a law dictionary and you have like a, a, a similar but a completely, sometimes a completely different um, definition. But yeah, I mean, but just thinking then as well when you were speaking, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you have to be competent to sort of take on the role, um, or, or as you say, like passing the steps. I was, I was just thinking about when, you know, when somebody passes on and then they, and then they leave a will. So, you know, that, that's basically what they're doing as well. They're, they're leaving the person in charge of the world, the offspring, who they think is going to be, is, is the one who has, has got that concept, basically. Yes, exactly. So you don't have a you don't really have a right. You don't have a right to create to be a creator slash trustor of a trust if you don't have the knowledge. You know, I mean, that's simple. <laughs> so, like, it's one thing 
to have somebody write up your trust for you. There's another thing for you to be competent in how to write your own trust. So that makes you the creator slash trustor. Jasia, what are your thoughts? What is making me understand is just when you said birthright, um, it's making me understand that's what the word is trying to tell you. And this goes back to when we first came into the nation, um, the comprehension of words and the definition of uh, what it means. Even when the Shemite uh, starts to become an Israelite, um, transferring of the title as far as having possessorship of certain things, all of those are falling under uh, vocabulary, how it's used. And um, even going back to Genesis, as far as saying, um, you know, Adam was given the right to name things, you know, all of these, or even even writing your trust, you know, the words in there is what you need to know to be able to write it. So it's just showing me the importance of um, vocabulary. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, you know, you you if you listen to some church guy, some street prophet or so-called prophet, I have never in my life heard them be able to explain um, what's the difference. How come all of a sudden they were once a Shemite, now they're now they're Israelites, now they're Gadites, now they're Judahites, Benjamites. What What is going on here? <laughs> now, here's another way I can explain it. This is a common practice. Surnames. So, Felicia Rashad. Debbie Allen's sister. She is presently Felicia Ayers Rashad. She used to be Felicia Ayers Allen. Ayers is her mother's maiden name. Allen is her father's uh, name, last name. So she was Felicia Ayers Allen. So that means she held her mother's last name and her father's last name. And it's a surname. So there is a distinction of who's. Now, they don't necessarily know this, but, I mean, we know it. There's a distinction of who's the father. That's why the father's last name is her last name, because we're talking about the seed in that situation. That's part of our culture specifically. 
Okay, now just change the surname to a nationality because the actual nationalities are surnames. I know we think of them, we, we call them tribes, we call them nations, but in reality, yes, they are tribes and nations, but they're surnames. So for that matter, I could be a, a Shemite Israelite. I could be a Shemite Israelite Judahite, a Shemite Israelite Benjamite, so on and so forth. Does that make sense, Brother Chris? Yeah, because that's just the, the, the transference of, of the name. So, yeah, Shem, um, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And that's not difficult to understand, but when you rise to that comprehension, then you have the, you actually have earned a birthright, right? So until you can think like this, you're not in you don't have the power of the creative mind meaning like you got to understand government law and commerce and until you get it you don't have the power of the creative mind to be a creator in law a trustor in law So in America, I just saw this yesterday. I can't remember who it was, and I got to find this when I get back. Guy deal. It might have been the guy that I was talking about earlier. Guy dealing with hurricane says something on the lines where we know that these people are dealing with the public trust. Now, the way he said it, I think he was thinking the people having trust in the public officials. <laughs> but really, he was accurate because they are only dealing with the public trust. And he was describing how the laws relate to the public trust. And yes, they are public trust that some creator, trust, or uh, established, put their terms and conditions in it, and now the people that are occupying that area have to answer to the public trust. <laughs> Josh, what are your thoughts? That makes sense why, um, as far as going back to the natural disasters and when people um, are looting, um, you know, those businesses are under the U.S. And so, there's, like you said, there's terms and conditions to it. So, I'm pretty sure one of the terms is that they must be protected from persons uh, from looting it. 
that that's what uh, was sparked up in my mind when you were explaining everything right now. Yeah, man, that's good. What are your thoughts, brother Chris? Yeah, I mean, you just saying it like that. I mean, um, it, it it definitely rings a bell with me that um, they're saying they're saying it. Um, it's in plain sight, basically. So, but you would only know it if you had the training. You would. I mean, if I wasn't in the nation, they could say it. Then. I wouldn't have a clue, but because we've been in the nation and we know that, that how the words work and we know what they mean when they say it, that they can just say it blatantly at 90% people would know what 99% people would know what the, what the hell they're talking about. And that's, that's bad, really, but just goes to show I mean, this, this sort of knowledge hasn't, hasn't filtered down anywhere near close where it needs to. Um, in the amount of people who who can comprehend it. Yeah. And, and do you see, like, when I look at it, I mean, Negroes look like they're light years away from this knowledge. <laughs> what do you think, Brother Chris? I'd, I'd say even further than that, because, I mean, um, I've just given up talking to people about what I'm doing, I, I did at first, and you know, you're trying to explain, and like I've been, mean, like I've heard you many times say that you know people just just think that you're mad and they don't get it, and they you know they disconnect, and and I, I I don't, I'm just kind of I'm in my own little kind of zone, and I, I but it's frustrating when you're like that that you haven't got someone else to sort of bounce off and to, to sort of throw ideas. I I had that with Simon really when we were sort of in the class, but so I do miss that, that we can't sort of go through it. We do have, you know, reasonable conversations about things, and we do mention bits now and again, but probably not as much as what I'd like to, but I, I don't think out of my circle of friends, there are people who do, will take certain certain uh, aspects of what you say on board, but they're never going to put their life down, they're never going to be making any kind of changes that is going to make any difference so there's no point even going there in the first place because unless you're gonna you're gonna take it all on board and you're gonna propose some kind of change then I mean yeah it's, there's no point there's no point knowing you know knowing how to how to build a castle if you're not gonna go and buy the things that like the, the materials to do it and, and show it and as they say as well as well known saying if, if you build it they will come so you have to go that extra mile yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what are your thoughts, Josh, Brother Josh, here? Well, I think about, uh, like, let's say, for example, if this, if knowledge, you know, that we learned in the nation was to be presented on TV or whatnot, would people gravitate towards it? Would they talk about it? Um, I always think about that. And, um, I forgot what I was watching one day or reading, but they were saying if you um, if you want to build powerful people, you have to start with the children because um, I think once you hit a certain age, you might get stuck uh, stuck into your habits. You know, a lot of our people they they don't want the uh, abuse from the police and don't you know they might think they. Not, 
that they aren't getting treated fairly, but um, they're not doing the steps to uh, change that. You know, they might protest or whatnot, or some might try to, you know, start something here or there, but then you have a problem with working with a lot of us. A lot of us can't work together. Um, then you have, you know, the Marcus Garvey situation where they put a, a CIA agent inside of him, broke it up. So you have all of those things that you're dealing with when you're just trying to, you know, start to get our people on the right track. Yeah, and, do, and brother, do you see why so few of us really can occupy this, the, the throne? Yeah. Yeah. Because look at this, like, I mean, you know what Hillary Clinton said? Uh, Brother Robert pointed this out to me a couple of years ago, and I uh, just revisited it the last couple of weeks. Hillary Clinton was talking to the one of the leaders in Black Lives Matter, right? And this guy is talking to Hillary Clinton about basically he's saying, look, your white people's hearts are corrupt. So what are you going to do to change these people's hearts? Hillary says, listen, I don't believe in changing hearts. She says, yeah, you can do some things here and there, and some of the people's hearts will change. She said, but I believe in changing law. <laughs> now, she's saying you use the law to address these matters. You can't worry about changing people's hearts. Some of their hearts will change, yeah, but if you sit around waiting on their hearts to change, she told him point blank, we'll be back here 10 years from now, and we'll be discussing the same thing. If you're going to be waiting on people's hearts to change, she said, how you do it is you change law. And I can't even talk to you or there won't be any changes until you organize, come together. What are you hearing there, Brother Chris? That is absolutely spot on. And um, I'm quite shocked that she said that in that manner because that, for me, just should tell you everything that you need to know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm of the same opinion. I mean, I, I don't wait for people's hearts to change. I mean, 10 years... 20 years, 50, I mean, then it's, it's not going to change. And your only remedy is going to be that law. That, that, that is what I have found. So, I mean, and until you understand it and figure out how you're going to use it to your, there's no point. It's not, it's not emotional. It's, it's, it's just strictly business in, in my mind. And I'm kind of getting close to where I'm, you know, going to start evoking a few things. But um, definitely that, that, if she'd have told me that, I'd have, I'd have shook her hand and said thanks. And then I know that's right, brother. I mean that. Yes, sir. What are your thoughts, Jassy, here? Yeah, I agree 100% with that. Uh, she was probably trying to give him information on how to start doing things, going about things, because that's what the Black Panthers knew. And they marched on, uh, I think it was, I forgot which um, government building that was in D.C., but they marched in there with guns. You know, so I think she was trying to hint to him of what what can be possible with the law. Yeah, and when when I looked at that, I saw his reaction. He's still thinking that she's racist. 
You know what I'm saying? He's thinking that these people are racist. And that the reason that black, quote-unquote, black people are being treated that way is because they're black. Well, yeah, it's because you're in the classification of black. You're disenfranchised. You believe in idol gods. You don't have a realistic mind. You live in a goddamn fantasy world. You damn right. And she's flat out telling this guy the solution, and he didn't even hear it. Yeah, so the point to all of this is, oh, back to the original thing I was talking about, about how the athletes over here have a a broader voice than even politicians, Negro politicians. Like, for instance, I look at this politician, I think he's in uh, Georgia, Elijah Cummings, Negro. I look at him and then um, Maxine Waters. These are are really modern-day heroes to me. Maxine Waters particularly, she's one of the the greatest Negro females in my mind that I've ever witnessed in my life because – she stands up for her people. She's she's unapologetic about it, and she's she's knowledgeable in 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 commerce and in government. She's very knowledgeable in those areas. Okay, these are heroes to me. The average individual Negro doesn't even know who they are. But you ask any Negro. Who is Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and all of us know? That's kind of shameful. Who is Shirley Chisholm? Brother Chris, do they teach about Shirley Chisholm over there in the UK? Shirley Chisholm was the first female to run for president, Negro. She ran for president. Did they teach about Dick Gregory running for president? Now, a lot of people know Dick Gregory, but a lot of people don't know he ran for president. Before Jesse Jackson. See, a lot of us think Jesse Jackson was the first Negro to run for president, and then we think Barack is the second. Okay, but what about Shirley Chisholm, who stood up in a time in the 60s and 70s and ran for president as a Negro female. I mean, that's unprecedented. Not to mention those Negro presidents before George Washington. But my point is, we know sports figures, right? So they used to have Mike Tyson walking around wearing a crown, a king's crown in a robe, in a scepter. You remember that, Brother Chris? I do, yeah. Yeah, I do. But rather than, now, now the people looked at him like he was a god. But in reality, he was a court jester. 
And now when he speaks, if you pay attention to him, he's talking about a whole lot of the things that he was going through and the knowledge that he had. Because if you didn't know any better, you would have thought Mike Tyson might have been a dumb man. But that brother got some deep knowledge. And he was breaking down. Has anybody, have you all seen him break down the origin of boxing? No. No. Man, you have got to look. Talk about the origin of boxing. It'll blow your mind. That's not, that's not when he was talking about um, Rocky Marciano and everyone like that, was it? Say that again, brother. That wasn't when he was doing that speech. Um, he was just talking about um, boxing like Rocky Marciano and a few other people. Um, I don't know if he was talking about that at the same time because that kind of blacked out of my mind. All I can remember is him breaking down the history of boxing like you have never heard anybody do. And I'm not talking about from a sports perspective. I'm talking about from a governmental perspective. It will blow your mind. And then you'll understand if he had all this knowledge, this guy had this guy had the Mike Tyson I'm talking about. He had knowledge of history in combat sports for thousands of years. He had thousands of this man has thousands of years of knowledge of history and combat sports. He's not a dumb man. But when you hear him break down the history of boxing, man, <laughs> all, all I can tell you is this is get off this phone and go look it up serious. <laughs> Anyway, um, I'm back at the home with the mother-in-law. So, um, yeah, we can uh, we can adjourn for today. We'll be back here next week, same time. So, uh, brother Jacia, I'll catch you later on today. So, thank you all for being here today, and we can adjourn for today. So, now.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.